got violated and the defendant got sentenced to an imprisonment term, how's that calculated? Basically, the rule is in general, you sort of lump those two together. Pardons and set-asides will be counted under the guidelines, but not expunged convictions. And uh, also various other rules throughout Chapter 4 that uh, you're going to want to be mindful of. The, the two key ones we talked about, the status under 41.1D, two points are added if the defendant committed the instant offense while under any criminal justice sentence counted under A, B, or C. That's, that's the, the key one. And then this recency factor is also one you're going to be mindful of. And that is two points added if the defendant committed the instant offense less than two years after release, but you'd only give one point for 41.1E if you've also had uh, status. What we're talking about for overrides is you go through the and do your criminal history calculation, and no matter what the criminal history points are, it can potentially be overridden by a few of these special rules that uh, nowhere in the book we call them overrides, I don't think, but us in the training department thought, you know what, you need a marker, so we're calling them overrides. And that is uh, 3A1.4 for uh, terrorism. Career offender, this is one that comes into play probably more than any of these overrides. The criminal livelihood in 4B1.3 that you're not going to see too much of. Um, and then in 4B1.4, this armed career criminal. For the career offender, we're talking about someone who's at least 18 at the time of the instant offense. The instant offense is a, is a felony crime of violence or controlled substance, and the defendant has at least two prior felony convictions of either a crime of violence or controlled substance offense. And what Congress has basically said under the statute, for those kinds of people, these repeat violent drug-type offenders, make sure you sentence those kind of folks toward the statutory maximum. And hence, that's why we have this career offender. And also, offense level determined by a table based on the statutory maximum, unless the offense level from chapters two and three is greater. And so you have this special table involving the statutory maximum and the offense levels. Like in our robbery scenario, if we had I think the statutory maximum would be 25 years for a robbery. It's uh, automatically going to be, if you have a career offender, uh, an offense level of 34 less the acceptance of responsibility. Uh, also, you get that reduction before sentencing if, if acceptance applies. You notice that on that table, if you're a career offender, we give you a set number, and that number can be reduced if you gave acceptance or responsibility. Some people believe, they say, oh, well, then we also had, say, maybe a minor role or minimal role. Can we subtract that from this as well? 
Well, guideline application is sequential, and, and we try and have the worksheets to emphasize that, that you start, you know, at chapter two, you work through three, you're working your way through the book. By the time you get to chapter four, you've already passed all those adjustments in chapter three to include acceptance responsibility, but you've passed role and acceptance and all those other things. When you get over to chapter four, it is only because under the career offender guideline that we say this number can be reduced if you did give acceptance or responsibility back in chapter three. It's only because the commission says that that authorizes those three levels to be taken off. So even though you may have, in your sequence of application, you may have given, say, a minimal role reduction, when you get over to, to career offender, the individual cannot get those offense levels off at that point because you have worked past that. Only if the commission were to come in and change the career offender guidelines saying, oh, you can also reduce it if you gave career offender back in chapter, if you gave mitigating role back in chapter three also. So keep that in mind. Once you've calculated down uh, the table, chapters two and three, across the table, chapter four, uh, the overrides in Chapter 4, Part B, for, for the, the points that Frank was talking about, whether you go further down or further across, then you have to put the table into effect. And that is back in Chapter 5. And we're going to look at the table, the zones, and some other aspects of that. The sentencing table. We have the zones A, B, C, and D. And those zones provide for certain things for the court to do, still within the guidelines. And it's not a departure to do these things that are offered within a particular zone. So let's talk about what these zones offer. Under zone A, the minimum of any of those ranges, the minimum of all those ranges, is zero. And so what could be done to a defendant who comes in with a zero to six range? Well within guideline sentence. It would not be a departure just to give that defendant a fine. That would be acceptable. If you do not consent to allow the police to search your home and, and there's not a situation where it's hot pursuit, then most likely the court is going to say they need a warrant to search your home. Now, even if the police get a warrant and, and search pursuant to a warrant and find something and arrest you, there still may be ways that we as defense lawyers can challenge the search. So, for example, they may have exceeded the scope of the warrant. The warrant may say that they're allowed to search for stolen bicycles, but they go and search jewelry boxes and, and, and chest or drawers and places where the items that they're supposed to be looking for could not possibly be found. And in that situation, we can most likely get the evidence thrown out. Also, we can go back many times and challenge the warrant itself. Often the police will go to a judge and provide misinformation or incomplete information or uh, an unreliable informant's word as a basis for, for getting their search warrant for a judge. And we can go and challenge that uh, and oftentimes uh, get what's called a motion to quash and traverse the warrant. And if we're successful, then again, everything found pursuant to the warrant would be thrown out.
You're watching FJTN, the Federal Judicial Television Network. Washington, D.C., the Federal Judicial Center, and the U.S. Sentencing Commission present Sentencing and Guidelines, Basic Application. Here is your moderator for today's program, Nancy Filsuf. Hello. As you just heard, I'm Nancy Filsuf, and I'm a Senior Education Specialist for the Federal Judicial Center. Welcome to this afternoon's broadcast on Sentencing and Guidelines Basic Application. Uh, this is actually a third in the series of broadcasts on Sentencing and Guidelines that has been presented by the Federal Judicial Center in partnership with the United States Sentencing Commission. Let me tell you a little bit about this broadcast. We're going to be um, broadcasting for approximately two hours, and at that midpoint, we'll probably have a five-minute break. Now, let me tell you more about the broadcast. What, we've, what we're going to do is a major portion of the broadcast, we are going to be showing a videotape of a training program that the United States Sentencing Commission uh, presented in Clearwater, Florida, not too long ago on basic applications. So what we have done is we have divided this tape into four segments. And in between the segments, we have experts from the Sentencing Commission that we will introduce to you in a few minutes. And they will provide commentary on the segments and also they will answer your questions that you will be faxing in um, during the pro program broadcast. I'll give you the fax number in just a few minutes. Also, I want to show you that we have some information that you can find about the broadcast on the Federal Judicial Center DCN website. And there's a lot of very good information about the Sentencing Commission in here. So I really urge you to get this information if you haven't already done so. Also in this packet, you will notice that we have provided for your convenience a fax form that you can use when you are faxing in your questions to us. Now before I forget, let me give you the fax number. It's one 800 488 0397. Also, this program has been approved for Continuing Legal Education Credit, or CLE, and you can find out how to apply for this credit also by going to the Federal Judicial Center DCN website. I believe I'm finished with my announcements. What I'd like to do is to introduce to you my colleagues from the Sentencing Commission. First of all, we have Rusty Burrows, who is the principal advisor in the commission. And we also have Rachel Pierce, 
who is an education and sentencing practice specialist. And both are from the Office of the Education and Sentencing Practice. Well, Rusty and um, Rachel, welcome to the program. I'm so glad you're here today. Thank you so much, Nancy. And I know that you do have some comments that you want to provide to us before we start the first segment. So, Rachel, why don't you start first? Thank you, Nancy. Good afternoon. On behalf of the Sentencing Commission, I'd like to welcome you to Sentencing and Guidelines Basic Applications. Today, on the pre-recorded videotape, you will be seeing instruction from Andy Purdy in the Office of General Counsel, Frank Larry in the Office of Education and Sentencing Practice, and Rusty Burris. As, as Nancy mentioned earlier, this videotape was originally taped at the 8th Annual National Seminar on Sentencing Guidelines, which occurred in Clearwater, Florida in 1999. Rusty, would you like to tell us a little bit more about how the broadcast is going to go today? be glad to. Uh, as you know from the title of our program today, the focus is on basic guidelines application. And we're going to do that by breaking it down into four segments. In the first segment, we're going to look at uh, some of the general application principles. We'll look at the Chapter 2 guidelines for offense, uh, offenses. We'll also look at the Chapter 3 adjustments. In our second segment, we'll look at criminal history determinations and also how to use the sentencing table in coming up with an appropriate guideline range. In the third segment, we'll look at relevant conduct. And then in the fourth segment, we'll look at multiple counts with just a brief uh, look at departures. Now, after segments one and three, uh, Rachel, you and I will be coming back to just make a few comments. Uh, after segments two and four, uh, we'll be coming back to take the uh, questions that the uh, viewers will be asking us. Uh, and in terms of the anything and that's why you gotta wait for the trial you gotta wait to see Melly's defense and we'll see what happens and he's behind not, not, not behind but he doesn't want to do the payments anymore. yeah I know that situation for sure is there anything because I, 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 I want to be like really uh, clear on it but is there a way to help someone who just want to get out of their payments. Yeah, absolutely. So anybody- Well, what is take the course and just- <laughs> yeah. enjoy it. That's a fact. So if someone doesn't want their payments anymore, they don't want to pay their car note, whether they're down in a situation. For example, somebody's in the army, right? They're now getting deployed or all the people on reserve, they, they're now leaving the country and your car's now just sitting there. Right. But you still get that email saying the car notes do nah, That's the worst feeling in the world, paying for something that you know you ain't using. Right. Right? Not only that, the car is actually rotting away. Cars are meant to move. So mm -hmm. if it's not moving, the parts are going to be real sticky and it's mm -hmm. not going to be working real well. So you reach out to a person like that, or a lot of people don't know they can reach out to me directly. If they knew, they would. But the other people don't know that you can either, you have a couple options. You can have one of your friends, your brothers or sisters rent out the car for you, or you can use a, a rental car management company that exists to put it on Turo and have your car, car being useful. But some people say, well, that's my personal car. 
I don't want to run it out. And this ain't for you. Because if you got an emotional attachment to cars, that's the issue in itself. My, in my course, I teach you the mindset of why are we having emotional attachments to these cars? Yeah. The feeling that you get while driving the car only exists while you're driving the car. For sure. <laughs> and only for like that first year. <laughs> I got a section called <laughs> buyer's remorse. Yeah. That's the worst. When you buy the car, I'm like, dang. You like the car the first month, second month, then you see the new version of the car next year. Not even next year, six months later. Yeah. Like, dang, that got all the features. Right? <laughs> like, my, mine don't got all that. Especially when you, get, when you first get a car, you don't eat in your oh, car. Oh, you know what I'm saying? Not your car. Your, <laughs> your car is so dirty that when you get a, a, a random person who want to ride with you, like, you got to let them know up front, yo, my car, I wasn't ready for you. <laughs> it happens every time. When my car dirty, don't judge me right. every time. But in the beginning, it's normally cleaner than this. I, before, <laughs> hey, you need you want to ride with me? Right, take your shoes off. You saw that? That's that new car. That's that new leather smell. <laughs> Hilarious. That's real. All right, so so who do you recommend the tutorial business for? So really, I recommend the car rental business. So you don't necessarily have to. So not just tutorial. Just car rentals, period. There's so many platforms. Mm. There's fetch trucks. So if you have a truck that's just sitting there doing nothing, there's a platform just for that. Your course ceases on all, like... Oh, every platform. We, we talk about rental utilizations, meaning you don't even have to rent a car out on short-term basis like Turo. You can rent it out just for photo shoots, just for weddings, just for car shows, right? Mm. And you can develop your own customer base using social media, websites, Turo, the benefit of Turo is they provide all-inclusive platform for you to be able to not have to worry about really nothing. They provide the clients, the background check, the messaging portal, the um, payouts. You don't have to get your own payment processor. Mm. They provide all that. However, you do not have to use them. You can use your own platform and depending on your utilization. People book cars just for photo shoots or video shoots and say... Say you want to book your car. I don't want nobody driving my car. I get it. I shouldn't be using this car as just a liability. I want to make it an asset, but I still don't want people driving my car. Right. So I'm going to just do photo shoots, mm-hmm. video shoots. You drive the car there, and nobody's driving it. They just get in, take their pictures, and get out. That's a crucial model. And you make 150 200 250 I'll, I'll, I'll be double dipping. I'll do a photo shoot. For one hour, somebody paid me three fifty for a picture of an I eight or two hours, and then that same day, somebody will book it for the day. Mm. I can double dip. You can do multiple photo shoots in one day. Wow! It's all about the marketing. I do that with my Airbnbs too. My Airbnbs, people think that you just because you have keys to to a condo is only used for overnight lodging. Yeah. There's a platform called PeerSpace where people go. There. You know PeerSpace. Yeah, people, sure. people can book your, your spot for an event, photo shoot, meeting, yeah. and that same night you can have a check-in for Airbnb, double dip. Mm. So you get to the bag out here, man. Yeah, it's only through experience. I would never have known all this if I didn't actively touch people. And the more, and here's the part, the more I share this information, the more opportunities of what I can do was shared with me. People say, oh, you know about this platform too? Dang, I didn't know about it. Somebody put me on to a fetch mm. truck. Somebody put me on into a higher car. I didn't know about higher car. Because if I did in the beginning, I probably would have bought a bunch of Hyundai Sonatas, 2018 Hyundai Sonatas for 
$16,000 and rent mm. it out to a nurse or an Uber driver who needs their car and is willing to pay $40 a week. Mm. Like my, my Kia Stinger is a luxury economy car. It's like a high-end Kia. It's like a, it's, it's dang near a, a sports car. But it only cost me like $23,000. And with Uber, they keep the car. It's a long term. Yes. That's, what the beautiful, that's the beautiful thing about doing business with a business, B2B. Because they need this to make their income. Fujiano came in a rap game pulling millions of views that even got him a once in a lifetime chance to sign the Gucci Man's label 1017. But Fujiano could have lost everything. With going over three years in prison, he was even involved in a shooting during one of his live performances and being involved with over seven attempted murder charges that could have cost him life in prison. This is Top Trend TV and this is the criminal history and biography of Fujiano. Mae Brown, aka Fujiano, grew up in the Greensboro area of Georgia, a small town with a population of less than 4,000 people. Growing up with five brothers and four sisters, the difference between him and them? Fujiano hopped in the streets at an early age, at only the age of 14, and this was the first time he got locked up for a robbery gone wrong. Unsure of the details, but he did a little bit over a year in juvenile hall. And after Fujiano got out, at the age of 15 was the first time he ever met his father face to face. But that didn't stop him from having a life full of crime and violence. Moving to Athens, Georgia at the age of 16, Fujiano met one of his brothers at this time and started to do home invasions and robberies in wealthy neighborhoods. But all of this robbing and stealing would catch up to Fujiano only at the age of 20 because he got locked up for a home invasion gone wrong leaving him in prison for a little bit over three years. On December 2013, on a Monday afternoon, two alleged burglars were arrested by Athens Clark police officers to a report of two men acting suspicious in a west side neighborhood. A witness called 911 at about 1.15 p.m to report that two men were dropped off by a red car on Lake Overdrive, then disappeared behind the residence, police said. An officer stopped the car on Lake Forest Drive, while the other officer spotted two suspects jump from the window of the home and took off running down Lake Overdrive, according to police. They were arrested after a foot chase in a near middle school 
of Tallahassee Road. After questioning, police arrested three men, including Fujiano, with burglary, possession of burglary tools, and obstruction of law enforcement. The driver was 17 and was charged with burglary and alteration of a license plate, police said. Plus, the burglary was interrupted before anything could be stolen. Fujiano went to do three years in prison for this burglary. He says he was writing a lot of poems throughout that time after an inmate told him he should do music after hearing one of his poems. He says he was even trapping in jail, getting out at the age of 24. And when Fujiano got out, he began to take rap more serious, going back and forth to the studio consistently. And after doing some songs and seeing his true potential, Fujiano decided to take it to the next level, doing a concert contest for $10,000. And Fujiano ended up winning the contest and got signed to a label named Authentic Empire Music Group, ran by an artist named Boom Man. Without further ado, Fujiano, come get your money. Come on, Fujiano went to drop his biggest hit of today, named Molly, and he was talking about his baby mother at the time while he was mad at her. And this song today has over 57 million views. Then Fujiano went to drop Trapper, which has over 4.6 million views. And after that, he put Lil Baby on the song for a remix. And that remix today has over 17 million views. And all of these views and the new style he had brought the attention of Gucci Man. And Gucci Man ended up signing him around March of 2020 for 1 million. Hey, don't come over here. Don't come. No, I'm coming. I'm coming. I mean, you were there for me. You were on your knees for me. <laughs> I'm coming. I'm coming. I don't care what they say. I'm the president of the United States. <laughs> I go where I want to go. <laughs> oh, man. Free my grandma. What's up? It's a hell of a handle there. Free my grandma. 
is gonna come out. Is gonna come out and tell out. They they so afraid of Trump. They're not gonna put anything like really heavy out until he die. After he die, that is gonna open up. It's gonna be all kind of stuff going on. Yeah, man. Oh, man. It's going to be. Oh, man. It's going to be bad. It's going to be bad. Carol Sessoms. What's up, Carol? Appreciate you. T. Hill in the building. Larry Banks, imagine Rudy Giuliani, you know, after, you know, after seeing him with that little incident where he was blowing his nose and wiping his stuff and touching his mouth and all that. Imagine him, imagine going over his house for dinner. Imagine how he do, how nasty he is, how he would probably be picking all in the pots and eating, you know, tasting the food, double dipping and all that stuff. And, oh, man. Wouldn't go nowhere near that dude. Just look nasty. It's Bushy, yes, absolutely. R.I.P. David Dinkins, former mayor of New York City. Already. Neil forever shine. Sup, Neil. Chrissy Black. So, fam, at uh, seven o'clock. I'm going to turn this thing all the way up on the second topic. I'm going to turn it all the way up on the Willie D Live channel. We're going to talk about this, this guy who was stopped by the police and 
This white dude stopped by the police, threatened to shoot the police twice after they threatened to stick the dog on him. He's doing a lot of fidgeting. All, all he's moving his hands, pulling his pulled, jerked his hand away from the police, touched his gun, and then eventually he drove off. They gave chase. That is not blessed that you got a $650 car payment when you should be paying literally less than $300 for the same exact vehicle. Do you want to live like, a, 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 I don't do credit cards or I don't do, I can't get a loan or I can't upgrade my house or I can't do this or I can't get a better car for my family or I can't even buy my first house because my credit shit? Like, why do you want to live like that? You're thinking about, it's so difficult to get it to, to my credit score raised because you never were taught it. It's not your fault, but I'm here to help you and tell you, it is extremely easy to raise your credit score. And I'm going to give you four tips on how to do it. And the first one that I'm going to give you is this. Did you guys know that there are ways to remove negatives from your credit report. In fact, you have the right to remove anything that's negative, obsolete, unfair, unduly incorrect from your credit report. The onus is put on the credit bureaus for them to verify the information or remove it. You all know that you have the legal right to challenge the information on your credit report, okay? Now, whether you hire somebody to do that or you do it yourself, the difference is one are professionals and the other one's you and you may not know what you're doing, right? One is time, it takes a lot longer. The other ones know exactly what to look for and then how to remove it, okay? But did you know that you can actually add positives to your credit report? And I don't mean trade lines. I don't mean authorized user trade lines. What I mean is, can you imagine if you could actually add your rent payments that you've been making rent on time with, your cable bill, your phone bill, your Netflix bill, all those payments could be added as positives to your credit report. But you have to know about a few things, and that's why I bring it to you. If you guys don't know about Rent Reporters or Rental Karma or Experian Boost, those three things I just told you, you go back to this video 100 times if you need to, your phone bill, your cable bill, your um, Netflix account, your rent payments that you've been making payments. You could even contact your, if you bought a house, you can even contact your uh, the owner of the house that you're renting from and ask, it's worth a shot, if they would report the information to the credit bureaus. It don't even have to be an apartment. What you want to do is rental reporter, rent reporters or rental karma they will report the rental payments of history back at least two years, okay? And when I talk about FICO 10 in a minute, you're gonna understand why it's important. They go back two years. So immediately, you just got two years of positive history. Now remember that your credit score is made up of a different elements. 35% is your payment history. So what if you could put positives and sink down some of those negatives? Right? Let's look at this for a minute. 
let's say you have three or four negatives and you have maybe one positive that you make and making payments on. Example. What if you then soak down and push down those negatives by putting on your rent, your cable, your phone, and your Netflix payment? Experian Boost, contact Experian Boost. They'll be able to add everything except for your rent. Rental Reporters or Rental Karma will be able to add your rent payments. If you're renting a home, possibly the homeowner can actually report the data to your credit bureaus. It's worth a shot. I just gave you something that literally is 35% of your credit scores, your payment history. The more history you have on there, it's going to push down the negatives by putting positives on. Tip number two, utilization. This is 30% of your credit score. Let me give you an example. There's been a bit controversy of where do we want to keep our utilization at? Most people say, if you keep it under 20%, you're good. That's wrong. The most beautiful number that you're looking for is the number two. It's not paid off. Most people will say paid off completely. In my opinion, not correct. Okay, Paying it off, then basically you won't have any interest, but it won't be revolving from the standpoint of it actually reporting each month. You want to show a little bit, and I mean very little bit, and that magic number two will have your highest credit score possible. Now, so when I say tip number two is utilization, what I'm talking about is take a look at all your credit cards that you have. Okay, here's what you need to do. This is called the snowball effect. What I want you to do is I want you to go through each credit card and the first thing you need to do is call the back of the card and ask the card for the closing statement date. Each one of your credit cards will have a different date. Okay? So let's say you've got a thousand, a 500, and a 300. Your lowest credit card is 300, then you have a 500. I'm here with Michael Becker, one of the top criminal defense lawyers here in Nevada. And Michael, today I want to talk about possession of child pornography. What does Nevada law say about child porn? Well, Nevada has very stringent laws in regard to the possession of child pornography. Uh, if you are found to be in possession of child pornography, you can be sentenced as a felon to between one and six years in prison for each image of child pornography that you possess. And, and what is the definition? I mean, what constitutes child pornography in, in Nevada law? In Nevada, child pornography, pornography is having visual images of children under the age of 16 engaged in sexually provocative uh, activity. So when you say images, that could be video, that could be print images, that could be images on the computer. That is correct. And it doesn't necessarily have to involve children engaging in acts of sex. It could be uh, children in, in sexually provocative positions. Uh, it's something that, that's litigated that you can argue to a jury, this is sexual, this is not sexual. Now, what if it's just, let's say, uh, somebody having images of children that are naked and they're not necessarily, they're not doing anything sexual, it's not sexually 
provocative stances, but it's just a lot of images of naked children. W would that be, would that constitute child pornography? It would depend on the circumstances. I mean, I think that parents uh, take pleasure in photographing their children. A lot of parents um, would take pictures of the ch children naked, pictures of the children in the bathtub, pictures of their children dressing. I mean, they, we all probably enjoy looking at pictures of ourselves as kids. And sometimes we see a picture of ourselves naked and it's clearly not something that's sexually explicit or provocative. It would depend on who possessed the images. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that would largely dictate how a jury would interpret whether they were sexual images or whether they were appropriate images. So it really depends on context then. I mean, if it's parents having images of their children and that's, you know, that's benign, that's, that's appropriate in our culture. But let's say it's some 50-year-old man who has no children and has 500 images of, of kids, you know, of various, you know, children that are naked... And in that context, even if it's not sort of sex sexually provocative pictures, just the mere naked pictures might be prosecuted? That is correct. And it might also depend, for example, on how the pictures are stored. Uh, a lot of the times when we represent people who are charged with child pornography, there have been search warrants that have been executed, computers seized, and the files are stored someplace on the computer. So, for example, if you had a file that contained pornography and there were pictures of naked children in that same file, one might suggest that the, that the files were stored there because those were your sexually explicit files. So all of the facts and nuances could affect how a prosecutor would view uh, whether or not to, make a, uh, uh, to file charges against someone for possession of child pornography. Let me ask you about the issue of age, because I know the age of consent here in Nevada is 16 for, for having sex, which is different than a lot of states. I mean, in most states, it's actually 18. But you said that the, the sort of age threshold for child pornography is also 16. So, I mean, the definition is the sort of nude, provocative pictures uh, of children under 16, right? That is correct. Now, in Nevada, if the images are of children under 14, the penalties are more severe, but it's still considered child por porn if it's 16 or under. Does that mean that you can have child, that you can have pictures of 17 year olds engaging in sexually explicit acts? Not necessarily, because federal law defines uh, age of majority at 18. So under federal law, pictures of a 17-year-old engaging in sexually explicit activity would still be considered child pornography. And you could face federal prosecution for those for possessing those images, even if the state chose not to file against you. Now, let me ask you, how is age determined, though? Because I'm assuming a lot of times the police confiscate uh, child pornography, and it's it's not clear. I mean, it's, it's a teenager, but that teenager might be 17, might be 18, might be 15. It's it's sort of ambiguous. How is it determined if they can't really sort of trace the you know the the person who's depicted and and verify that for certain? There are a variety of ways. There have been incidents 
where law enforcement agents are actually able to investigate and find the person that's depicted in the image. And they've been able actually to age a certain photograph or image. Sometimes federal agents will have Welcome to another edition of the Social Proof Podcast. We find people who have built something sustainable. And not only people that built something, because not all people that build something can teach it or show other people how to do it. But we really try to find teachers. And today we probably have the best in the game. When it comes to teaching, teaching how to like duplicate. Mm-hmm. Your success. Mm-hmm. So, we got my brother, mm-hmm. Mr. Matty J in the building. How you feeling? Hey, yeah. hey, 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 hey. The time is now. The time has <laughs> Don't come. Don't be arrogant, brother. Calm down. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, we've been cool waiting out. to have this interview for at least two for years. For sure. For sure. Way too long. Way too Man, long. God came through with it. Yeah, just, to, just so everybody know, this is my real brother from, from church. That's like, a fact. spiritual brother. That's a fact. We're in church every Sabbath day, mm-hmm. keeping it holy. Yeah, absolutely. You know and the conversations aren't necessarily just like, yo, how much money you make today? No, definitely like, it's, not. It, it's, it, it's the character hold. Yes. That's why I value this relationship Amen. most so much. Amen. Amen. Thanks to God. So, for those that don't know, because we are going to get into this Cardinal game, and I'm excited to announce that. I got my first vehicle. Mm-hmm. Okay, we got a 2017 Range Rover. For what? Is it is it for personal use or are we gonna use it for cash? No, we about to get this bag. What you mean? You know, actually, the the my thought was, <clears throat> so I'm around you, like you might pull up in the IA Neo, pulling up in the rolls. You feel me? Like yo, everybody got these cars. I'm like. I do some really amazing things, right? Um, guys afforded me to, um, you know, do some really cool things in business. Mm-hmm. And I said, if I'm going to the next level, I think maybe some people need to see it, see it and be inspired That's by it. Fact. So my thought is, I need to get one of these vehicles, bro. <laughs> but for the way that I think is, I don't want to pay for it. That's a bar. So I, I sat down with my wife and I said, yo, we need to get some really nice cars, put them on Toro mm-hmm. so we can make money mm-hmm. and be able to and drive something nice when we go out. That's a fact. And, I, and, and I, I remember the conversation. First off, before I get there, introduce yourself. Before <laughs> I, I don't get too hype on this one. <laughs> What's going on, everybody who's, who's tapping in? My name is CEO Matty J, and I'm a digital real estate agent, general contractor, I buy, sell, build, flip, fix businesses online primarily. And most recently, I'm actually in the car rental space. Car rental space has been doing really nice things for me lately. It's allowing me to share information, specifically how to turn liabilities on wheels into assets making deals. Yeah, this joint is crazy. I remember we were... At church, I think Sabbath just was over, and he said, "Y'all about to put my car." No, this is a real life story. This is a real story. Two, two years ago at church, we brought it up. Yep, he's like, "Y'all about to put? I'm about to rent out my car," and he had just got the Tesla. And in my mind, I'm thinking, "Why would you?" Rent out a Tesla. Your face was crazy. You looked at me like I was crazy. I don't get it. 
I don't get oh, it. Oh my goodness. And I was like, yo, I'm about to get this um this this rental property. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yo, why don't you why don't you get a car and just sell it? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yo, oh, bro, I remember that. First off, people don't just why would you rent out your nice car? Mm-hmm. Second, first off, and then second off, real estate is like a proven way of building wealth. Because you were investing at this time. I'm like, bro, oh, you don't got to do all that. Just get you an Airbnb. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Right. And I, and I, I was like, yo, I got to buy a property mm-hmm. and then rent it out. He's like, yo, you don't got to do that. Yeah, and he's like, yo, we are moving into a, di- a different age. Mm-hmm. Like, you need to take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. So I, walk me through that process. Goodness gracious, man. Oh, it brought me back because I was going through a process where I'm like, dang, this works. Why isn't everybody doing it? And when I think about everybody, I first think about my closest friends. And I saw David Shins, he was actively investing. He was like investing a lot of income into this um, the real estate property that you was doing. And I got started and I scaled really quickly. So starting off with the cars, my Tesla Model S, 2013, this was back in 2017, I believe, mm-hmm. um, was sitting there doing nothing. I live in Atlantic Station. So this is a, a an area in Midtown, Atlanta, Georgia, where everything's literally there. All the top stores, the restaurants, clothes, Publix, everything you need is there. So my car was never dr- like being driven. So I realized like, wow, I'm paying $900 a month car note plus insurance, about $1,000 for a car I'm not driving. Mm-hmm. Me, I'm a very logical person. And I'm like, yo, this doesn't make sense. And I come to find out after doing studies, reading these studies, 90% of cars that people have are sitting 90% of the time throughout the day, throughout mm-hmm. the year. So I was like, all right, let me figure this out. My boy Jacoby, shout out to Jacoby, coolest nerd ever. <laughs> he said, yo, there's a platform that you can rent out your cars um, on. Mike, uh, here in Nevada, we use the term statutory sexual seduction. Does that mean the same thing as statutory rape? Yes, Nevada's use of statutory sexual seduction is the same as what's commonly known as statutory rape in other parts of the country. And here in Nevada, here in Las Vegas, so. What is the legal definition of statutory rape or or statutory sexual seduction? In essence, the age of majority in Nevada is 16 years old. So statutory sexual seduction would be having sex with somebody who is under the age of 16. And really it would amount to having sex with someone who's 14 or 15. Because if you have sex with someone under 14, then that would be considered child sexual assault. Now, when you say have sex with, what is, is that oral sex? Is that vaginal sex? What is the technical definition? The technical definition involves any penetration. It doesn't have to be traditional sexual intercourse. It can be any kind of penetration um, sexually, and it's very uh, broadly defined. It can be, uh, it can be fingers, it can be lips, tongue, it, it doesn't have to involve necessarily two sexual organs. So, so when you say any penetration, I mean that obviously that includes vaginal penetration, 
That's correct. It includes anal penetration. Yes. Now, what about oral sex? Is, is that included here? Oral sex would also be classified as having sex for purposes of the statute on sta- statutory sexual seduction. Now, let me ask you this. Uh, you said that the age of consent here in Nevada is 16, right? Yes. So let's say I'm, I have a girlfriend who's 15 years old, okay? And uh, she and I are having a, a sexual relationship. But it's entirely consensual. It's loving. Uh, it's willing. There, there's no force used. There's no coercion used. Uh, but I get accused of statutory rape. I mean, isn't uh, the, her consent or her willingness a defense to, to a, a crime like that? It's not. It, ultimately, the law reflects the social value in the state of Nevada that says, under any circumstances, it's just not appropriate for someone who's under 16 years old to be engaging in sexual acts. What if I believe that she is of the age of majority? I mean, let's say I meet a young lady and she tells me she's 17 years of age and and actually she looks very mature. She looks like she may be 19 or 20. uh, And I just have no reason to believe otherwise. And I honestly and reasonably believe that this young lady is 17 and therefore that the sex with her is legal. Uh, but in fact, she's 15. And could I get arrested? Could I get charged? What's the circumstances there? Absolutely, you could be arrested and you could be charged. Ultimately, prosecutorial discretion plays a role. If your defense attorney can show the prosecutor that you had been misled, if there was a fake ID, it may be that your attorney could compel or convince the prosecutor to utilize their discretion to either dismiss the charge or reduce or reduce the charges, but as a matter of law, it's it doesn't matter. It's a strict liability crime. So, uh, so basically, if she's underage, then I I'm liable. That's correct. Now, uh, let's say the prosecutor does not reduce the charge, and I go to trial. I'm convicted of statutory sexual seduction. What are the penalties here in Nevada? What would I be facing? Okay, in Nevada, for statutory sexual seduction, it is a felony. You could go to prison. Um, most likely, if it's a first offense, you would likely get a probationary sentence, which would mean either hopefully no jail time or some local jail time in the Clark County Detention Center. But Ultimately, you could go to prison, depending on the facts and circumstances. If you're convicted of uh, statutory sexual seduction here in Nevada, do you have to register as a sex offender? Courts have some discretion with regard to ordering registration for statutory sexual seduction. Most often, they will order registration. It's not required, but... It's certainly better if your counsel can negotiate a resolution to something, for example, coercion, non-sexually motivated, which specifically does not carry the sex offender registration requirement. So the answer is yes, but not always. And have you had uh, success in uh, representing clients accused of uh, statutory rape, statutory sexual seduction here in Nevada? We have had success in that regard. 
Uh, we have been able in some cases to get the cases dismissed. Sometimes a complaint will be made, let's say by, by a family member or other third party, but the, 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 the victim, so to speak, who might be a willing participant is not. Like, like they're not doing any research themselves. Nobody's, trust me, I guarantee no reporter picked up the phone or went to the prison, or sorry, went to the jail, or wrote a letter. Nobody tried to talk to, to Lugo. Doesn't even matter. The point is, is most of these newspaper, uh, newspapers will just get this art or this press release from the U.S. attorney and just rewrite it. And so I read uh, like three articles, but they're all basically the same. They have a little bit different information, you know, slightly different, but it's all pretty much the same. So here's what apparently Lugo was doing. Because it, you can't go open a company. So, you know, you can't open a company and then turn around and apply for a PPP loan. Because... The IRS is, or whoever's handling it is going to go, the COVID Relief Foundation or fund or whoever's handling it, they're going to look at your application and they're going to say, this thing was open two weeks ago. How is it you have 30 employees that you need $500,000 to continue to pay? And that's just, that, that, that's not how it works. So you have to get existing companies. And sometimes those existing companies have to have filed taxes. So it sounds to me like what Lugo did was he went and he got, now keep in mind, a lot of these times you can get these companies, you can buy a comp, you can go online and buy a company that's been in existence for years. So it's like a, it's like a shell company. And so you go buy a company that's been in existence for years, or you can go to, um, you can go to the, uh, um, secretary of state's websites for most states. And if somebody has a corporation that was open 10 years ago, and maybe they paid their fees for two years and then they stopped and the, the company's inactive, you can typically go and just pay the back payments, the back fees, the annual fees on those companies and take that company over. So now, then if you really get creative, you could actually file back taxes for the company. You don't have to pay in. You just have to file. So sounds to me like what he's doing, what he did was he Lugo's not that smart, though, by the way. He's not going to figure all that out. What he's most likely did, and what it basically seems like it says in most of these articles, is that he went to, one, a couple of companies that he already owned, and he applied for PPP loans in those companies' names, saying, hey, I have employees that I have to pay, and um, the company's been around for so many years, and I have 10 employees, and I need... $300,000 or $100,000 or whatever the amount of money is. And I need that money to pay my employees. And they, they then say, okay, well, the company's been around for five years. I can see that it claimed taxes last year. And okay, give them the money. So it's like, it's just boom, they're just giving them the money. He did 70 companies. 
he applied for loans in the, in, for 70 different companies. And it, based on what the uh, articles say, it sounds to me like what he did was he went to friends and family and probably probably friends of his family, like, you know, a friend of a friend, anybody that he knew that owned a company or he could get to you and you know somebody that owns a company, you know, I'll give them this much and work, I'll apply for the PPP loan because he's having success. And he probably goes and says, no, no, you don't understand. You just, here's how it works. And, you know, you put it in such a way that it makes that sound like, look, you're going to get $100,000. I'm going to give you $20,000. I'm going to do all the paperwork and you're not going to have to pay these people back at all. So it's a free $20,000, whatever that's, whatever his agreement with those people is, are. Because let's face it, he's not, they're not going to do it for nothing. Well, it sounds to me like that's what he did. And he applied for 70 different PPP loans. Uh, to the tune of $5.8 million, nearly $6 million. It sounds to me like he got out over a million at least. I mean, just the numbers that they're throwing down here. I mean, he's gambling. He lost 60 something thousand dollars at a casino. He spent $350,000 on something else. He paid off a, you know, some luxury uh, SUV. He did, I mean, he he's buying uh, all kinds of designer uh, clothes and designer, you know, all kind of jewelry and, you know, all that stuff. And he's living in a big house and he's renovating houses. And it, look, he needed, he probably got a million, maybe $2 million. I think he pulled out, I think he pulled out, they said he pulled out in cash, $350,000 in cash. That's what they can't, that's just what the, what the, what the FBI or whoever arrested him, uh, that's what they can't account for. Like, we can't account for this because he got that out in cash. Everything else they can kind of figure out. So you can imagine what you can buy. 